0: I really want to thank you all for the invitation to be here uh, this morning. I especially want to thank uh, my friend, my brother, the uh, dean of the chapel, Montague. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Dean Williams. I know I'm embarrassing. <laughs> um, and I especially want to thank um, I want to thank these young people who've been leading us in worship. Um, can you give God a hand clap of praise for them, please? I'm really overwhelmed by, um, by the spirit of, of this group up here and the way that they've given themselves over to leading us in worship. I, I just want to thank you again. Um, and I felt some trepidation even walking up here um, just, just because of the atmosphere that they have set. So right now, i just uh, like to go to the God in prayer. If that's all right, if we can pray for a minute. God, we worship you in this place. God, we glorify you. God, we magnify your holy name. We, we lift your name on high. Lord, we love you. God, you are an awesome God. You are a magnificent God. You are a great God. You are a glorious God. God, we come into this place with thanksgiving in our heart. We come into this place with with sacrifices of praise on our lips. God, we just want to thank you for just being God. We want to thank you for the way that you've blessed us. We want to thank you for your presence in our lives. We want to thank you, God, for being faithful to us when we are unfaithful to you. We want to thank you, God, for the way that you hold us up for the way that you carry us, for the way that you walk with us, for the way that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, we want to thank you for your presence in this place. We want to thank you for inhabiting the praise of your people. Now, God, we pray that your spirit would speak to us through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to uh, take a moment... To um, pull out my phone so that I can set a stopwatch. Because if I don't set a stopwatch, we might be here a while. I know it's very stereotypical to have a black preacher here come and say that I'm going to preach too long. But it is what it is. I grew up a holiness apostolic Pentecostal i am A.M.E. now, so I've had to learn how to be more refined and how to uh, limit myself into a particular set of expectations within the order of worship. I even brought my robe this morning because that's how I've been schooled to preach now. Montague saw the robe bag and he was like, what, what is this? What is this? I said, it's my robe. I didn't know if I was supposed to robe up. And he was like, you're going to scare them. Please put the robe away. So, I think he was like two minutes away from running and getting me a sweater or something so I could take off my suit. Um, But anyway, (laughs) here we are. Um, Scripture text for this morning is in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, reading from verse 38. Uh, through to the end of the chapter, verse 48. Um, Matthew chapter 5, for those who are following along. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. And it reads this way. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And it says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I told you all that I grew up uh, apostolic holiness, Pentecostal. So I did not grow up uh, cursing. That was a big no-no in my family. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've taken the liberty and freedom to curse in my mind. But even on those occasions when I do curse in my mind, I tend not to curse a particular person. But on weeks like this, I find myself cursing one of my old professors, the Reverend Dr. Horace Allen may he rest in peace. Dr. Horace Allen was an old Presbyterian minister who was very active in the ecumenical church, and he taught me in worship and in parish preaching. And he took this little old Pentecostal boy from a Caribbean Afro-Latino Pentecostal church where the scripture of the day was whatever the holy spirit told the pastor that morning he took me and showed me the common lectionary y'all know about the lectionary is that a nazarenes don't use a lectionary do y'all some yeah some eh, yeah no y'all are more free y'all are free church i used to be free church now i'm constrained and no, i'm just joking um It's been very helpful to my ministry because there are days when, and I can talk like this because you all hear a lot of preaching. So I'm just going to be transparent with you about the preaching moment. Uh, There's a lot of days we have absolutely nothing to say. It's a lot of days when the Holy Spirit has not cometh from on high. It's a lot of days when you have spent your time prostrate on the floor in tears, whining and crying. Oh, Lord, give me a word. Nothing comes. Nothing. So the lectionary has been a beautiful uh, uh, tool in my life because there's always some place to start. Every week you just go to the lectionary and there's four scriptures right there. Old Testament, Psalm, Epistle, New Testament. It's all there. A gospel every week. I just go there. You can plan a week in advance, a month in advance, a year in advance, three years in advance. There it is. The problem though is once you get into the discipline of the lectionary, You start to have these uh, emotions that come up every time you happen upon a text that you really don't like. When you happen upon a text that you really would rather not preach. And you tell yourself, well, I have this discipline, but ain't nobody out there care. Nobody cares about my discipline. So what I'll do is I'll just change the text. I'll just go back into my Pentecostal memory bank and change the text. And then something will happen to me. I will hear Horace Allen in the back of my mind. And I'll say, damn you, Horace. Get out of my head. Because I will hear him telling me, the very reason you want to avoid that text is the very reason you have to preach it. And I'll tell you this morning. I am preaching a text I'd rather not preach because I'm here in this magnificent space. My first time at Eastern Nazarene, I've been invited by a friend who I don't want to embarrass. I want to be impressive. And so this morning when I went to the office of the church, I went there to get my robe, which is very beautiful and I can't wear because I did not want to scare you, but it's very nice. And on my way out the office, I tried to cheat. I went to a stack of old sermons and I started rifling through the sermons and I picked out a stick. That's what we call it. Uh, Old black preachers call it a walking stick. It's a walking stick. It's a sermon that you can take with you. It's a sermon that'll travel. It's a sermon that when nothing else is working, you can lean on it and it'll help you get through. I picked up one of my old sticks and I shoved it in my bag and hit the road because I said, I'm not preaching this text. I'm going to preach this stick and get out of here. And I couldn't do it. I left, I left those notes in the, in the car because, because I kept coming back to this text that I, I would rather not preach. And the reason is this. I try to find the good news in the text And could not find it. I tried to find a word from God that I could say, do this. The word that I could affirm as being God's instruction for today. And I could not find it. I keep reading the text over and over and over. And all I end up doing is fighting with Jesus. It's a horrible thing to be a preacher and find yourself fighting with Jesus. It's usually not a good idea. Jesus is usually right but on this one I kept reading it and all I kept saying back to Jesus was no you have heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say to you do not resist an evildoer but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. And my answer to Jesus is no. You see, because I read this text from a particular perspective, the great Catholic theologian Stephen Bevins writes a book called Contextual Theology where he says that there is really no such thing as pure theology. All theology really is contextual in the sense that we always encounter God. The only reason we know anything about God, the only way humanity can have any semblance of divinity is that God decides to reveal something to us. And the doctrine of the incarnation says that God decided when God wanted to reveal God's self to humanity, the paradigmatic revelation of God, the revelation of God for all revelation, the one time God said once and for all, I'm going to show human beings all about myself in a way that will explain everything that came before and in a way that will show them the way forward for all times to come. When God decided to do that, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. God decided to make God's self known to us in and through the stuff of our human experience, of our context. God didn't show up as the divine word unencumbered by the weight of human stuff. No, God showed up in the particular person of Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus from a particular family, in a particular place, with a particular story, at a particular time. And this is how we always encounter God, through our sense of ourselves that we give to the world based on where we have come from, based on who has born us, based on the story and the history that make us who we are. That's how we encounter God. And it shapes And it colors the way we understand what God is saying and what God is up to. And I come to this text out of the experience of people descended from African slaves whose encounter with the Christian story was in the context of their degradation, dehumanization, in the context of their losing their humanity for the sake of the upbuilding of European empires. I come descended from a people who had to make sense of a gospel that was used to justify their own enslavement. A gospel that was told to them as justification for their lot in life. Who were told this is how God has ordained for this to be. I come from a people who heard preacher after preacher tell them, The Bible says, slaves obey your masters. The Bible says, slaves be obedient to them and serve them as unto the Lord. I come from a people who have been told that your suffering is redemptive because look at Jesus. Jesus took his suffering on the cross and he never said a mumbling word. And so here you are in chains and in shackles. Here you are feeling the lash of a whip. Here you are being beaten and raped, abused, torn from families, torn from husbands, wives, sons, daughters, grandchildren, grandfathers, granddaughters. Everybody's being ripped apart and we're told this is the way God desires it. And over and over that story shape shifts into new narratives new ways of re-inscribing that same story new ways of putting that story into an institutional context that over and over and over again tells my people that you are less than human and not only are you less than human but that's how god wants it and if you simply accept your lot in life somehow it will result in you being blessed And I come from a Christian tradition that has heard that story and not accepted it passively, but returned to that story over and over again and said, no. Because though that's the way the story has come to me, I know that in the tapestry that is the scriptures, there's another thread than that one. There's another thread that says that in the beginning, God created And that God created human beings. God looked at us and said, it is good. And I'm a part of that creation. I'm a part of that creation, which means that I am good. I I see another thread in the story. I see another thread in the story that says, God said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I see another thread in the story. A thread in the story where Isaiah rises up and says to the people, is this the kind of fast God desires of you simply to pray and to fast from food for one day? No, God says, this is the fast that I require of you to do justice To stand up for the oppressed and to seek mercy for the widow and the orphan. For those who have been locked out and left out. You do that, God says, and then you're my people. I come from a tradition that looked at the scriptures and said, No, Jesus said on his first day in worship, in his ministry, he pulled open the scroll and he read from Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Freedom for the captives. I come from a people that have heard a particular way of understanding the story and they talk back to the story and said, no, I will not allow this tradition to be used to justify my oppression. I will not allow you to tell me the story about a God who desires my dehumanization. I will not allow you to present to me a Jesus that requires my sacrifice so that others might live. And so I come to the text and I hear Jesus say, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right, turn the other also. I look at it and I say, no, no, Jesus, I got to talk back to you now. I can't just take that, Jesus. I got to talk back a little bit. I got to talk back, Jesus, because that is not the kind of story that I come from, that my people, that's not the way we have encountered God. But here's the funny thing about talking to Jesus. Jesus starts to talk back. (laughs) Jesus starts to talk back to me and says, well, let me tell you about my people. You see, I come descended from a people of subjugation too. You see, my father was a wandering Aramean. That's the beginning of the story that Jews are taught to teach their children. That's the beginning of the way they tell their story. Their story begins with a wandering Aramaean named Abraham. Their story begins as a people who were not a people. Their story begins as a homeless people with no place to be, no place to go, no place to call home, no place to be safe, no place to be secure. In fact, in the entire history of the people of Israel, they had 40 years of happiness decades centuries millennia of trial and tribulation and 40 years of happiness they went from wandering with no home to enslavement they went from enslavement to wandering in the wilderness they went from the wilderness to fighting in canaan for a place to be and then they had 40 years of the rule of david and solomon Then they went right into civil war against one another. Then the northern half of Israel was taken into captivity. Then the southern half was taken into captivity in Babylon. After Babylon came Cyrus with the Assyrians. After the Assyrians came the the, uh, Ptolemies. After them came the Greeks. After the Greeks came the Romans. For 40 years out of thousands of years, Jesus says, my people have been down. My people have had a boot on their neck for all of those years. And so this is Not the story of an oppressor trying to justify their position in life. Jesus is talking to a people that know pain. Jesus is talking to a people who are in subjugation at the very moment he's saying these words. Jesus is not telling this to a people who don't know anything about suffering in order to justify their suffering. He's clearly saying something else because Jesus is one who knows how to stand up to injustice. Jesus is one who was killed for standing up to the empire. He says, don't tell me about your people. I'll tell you about my people. I know what you're going through, son. And so I say to Jesus, then why are you giving me this instruction that appears to my ears like like death? Jesus says, look at the end of the story. It finishes by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. But that word perfect that we translate as perfect really comes from the Greek word telos, the Greek word telos, which means purpose. It means the end of a thing. It means what that thing was intended for. It means what that thing was designed for. It means what is natural for that thing to be. In the end, what he's saying is, therefore, be who I've called you to be, just as God is always going to be who God is supposed to be. Be who you are supposed to be just as God is always faithful to who God is supposed to be in other words Jesus is looking at the way of the world looking at the ways of oppression and degradation and the ways of selfishness and abuse and looking at the ways that the world has structured itself according to haves and have nots and Jesus is saying even though that's been your story even though that is the way the world is structured I'm calling you to be who I've called you to be I'm calling you to continue to be the way god has designed you to be i'm calling you to continue to show the world what life is supposed to look like under the reign of god and i'm calling you in the midst of your suffering to not become the oppressor that you seek to resist i'm calling you to not let the world of hatred infect your heart and make you hateful i'm calling on you to not let a world of selfishness infect your heart and make you selfish. I'm calling you as hard as it is in the midst of all you're going through to be the person I've called you to be. And even though the world will look at you as a loser, even though the world will look at that and tell you that it's not the right way to go, even though the world will look at you and say, you're really not doing what you should do. I'm going to tell you that if you do that, you'll be blessed because he begins the sermon. Not because it's effective, not because it's efficient, not because it will help you win, but it's because who I made you. It's what I made you to be. It's what I made you to be. And when you do that, you may not have the world's blessing, but you'll have mine. Amen.
1: feel like chapel became church this morning let's pray dear god we just we want you to take our hearts take our lives take over take everything help us be who you have called us to be god we thank you for meeting us here in chapel God, we know that you use everything here at ENC to form us and shape us into the people you call us to be. So God, as we go out into our classes, as we go out to our teams, as we go out to our dorms and the dining hall, God, we pray that you would help us see you at work, and we pray that you would help us be open to living faithfully. Lord, we pray this in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen in his grace and peace.